and to the word of the Lord this morning. The angel, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of the holy and true one who has a key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth to try those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do give you thanks and praise and ask for your great blessing at this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3. I'd like to direct your attention now to the sixth of the seven letters that we have been looking at. We've been working our way through the seven letters that Jesus writes to the churches of Revelation, all with the intent, with the idea of drawing attention to the fact that as Jesus is writing to these particular churches, he really is addressing the overarching church, the universal church as a whole, and that absolutely includes each and every one of us, certainly includes Hebron Church. And so while we're looking at this text, for what Jesus is speaking to and how he speaks to the church in Philadelphia, we are attuned to the fact that Jesus is speaking very specifically to us as well, to our congregation, to each of us as individual members of the church of Jesus Christ. I, my first job uh, was around the corner from an arcade, uh, and uh, early on in starting to get some money, I went around the corner to the arcade and began to play video games. Now, this was uh, these arcade video games, so you have to go quite back a couple of decades. Some of the older folks here might remember uh, Asteroids. Does anybody remember Asteroids? Okay, got a couple folks that remember that. That was uh, my first addiction, um, and I spent way too much money playing Asteroids. Uh, I would get my paycheck, I'd cash it into quarters, and then I'd go stand in front of Asteroids over and over again and play that uh, idiot. And I learned an important lesson. Uh, the lesson I learned was that I can very easily get addicted to video games. Uh, therefore, I've been very cautious about video games ever since, uh, getting too wrapped up in them because that easily happens to me. Uh, but I did, uh, my children, sort of uh, played them. I didn't necessarily keep them from doing that, and so they kind of dabbled here and there, um, neither of them having quite the addictive personality that I have. Uh, but uh, as my son was playing uh, this one particular game, I'm looking over his shoulder, getting my fix intravenously from him. Uh, I'm watching him play this game, and, he, and it's a game, it's basically a maze type of a game. You starts when you're in a closed room, and you go from one spot to the next. And the point of all of this is to try to figure out where the door is 
and uh, then how you open the door, and then how you keep the door open. You know, it's a series of different steps that you take, all with the intent of trying to get through a particular door. The door represents winning, and the door represents passing through the next opportunity that you get to continue to play the game. And I watched Jason play this thing. It was quite engaging the way in which the game functions and works, but it was really good. But you take the notion of the door out of the game, and the game completely collapses. The idea, the, the vision of the game is getting through these doors, and so the door is very special. Similarly, with uh, our story of our church here today, the Church of Philadelphia, the imagery of a door is central to understanding the entire letter, and it's central to what I believe Jesus is speaking to the Church of Philadelphia, and consequently, the church at Hebron, and each of us individually here, as we look at what this means that Jesus is addressing the church at Philadelphia and comments on this door that he has set before them. You can see this uh, in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now, this letter follows the format in which we have been seeing over and over again. First, it's addressed to somebody. Who is this addressed to? The angel at the church in Philadelphia. We talked about what an angel means in the past and, and how it addresses the church of Philadelphia. We can go back and look at some of those things if we look at it. After we find out who it's addressed to, then Jesus self-describes himself. He says, I, I am sending this, and he highlights particular characteristics about himself that are particularly relevant to the church in which he's addressing. He, he encourages the church, compliments the church, uh, says, hey, you're doing great work here. Then he criticizes the church. Then he encourages the church to, to uh, follow through in a different pathway. Then he offers a promise, and then he, then he makes a command, basically, to hear and pay attention. This pattern is followed here with the Church of Philadelphia as well. We are, as we work our way through the Church of Philadelphia, I want to start, though, with this overriding image that is present. Again, in verse 8, where Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now, biblically, the idea of a door uh, basically has its literal meaning. Most of the time where a door is spoken of in Scripture, it's somebody passing through the door, or Peter standing in the doorway, or something along those lines. So it's, a, it's got a literal understanding of a doorway or, a, or a, a solid door that is blocking something, something along those lines. Now, we can look at this text and try to see when Jesus says, I have set before you an open door, do we envision that he actually has a physical doorway and he's pointing, you know, hey, remember that doorway that I built that? I don't think we're talking about a physical doorway here. And, of course, there's plenty of biblical evidence to back this up. And I'm sure all of you immediately made the association that here we're not talking about a physical doorway. This is a metaphoric use of the word door. Jesus has set before them a door, and in Scripture, when a doorway or a gate or an opening or something like that is referenced, it overwhelmingly has the idea of an opportunity. I have set before you an, a door. I have set before you, there's this opportunity that is present. So Paul talks about different opportunities to go different places, and Jesus himself references different opportunities, and all the way, both of them use that metaphor of a door. 
I've set before, there's this doorway for me to go and do this work. There's a door open for me to do this, something along those lines. So it works for this notion of an opportunity. Specifically, there are two different ways in which the word door is used in Scripture metaphorically. The first is the idea of a doorway into salvation. Jesus himself identifies himself as the door. I am the door for the sheep who come into the sheepfold. I am the door that protects the sheep who are in the sheepfold. And he identifies himself in such way, associating the door and the doorway as a pathway into salvation itself. Scripture kind of identifies there are two ways in which each person in this world can go. One is a broad and open pathway, and it is an open pathway that you can walk and that it is dependent upon your abilities, it is dependent upon your gifts, it is dependent upon how you decide to live your life, it is very you-focused, and it is a wide and broad pathway, and it leads straight to destruction. On the other hand, there is a narrow doorway, there is a narrow path that you can walk And that narrow path takes you into the very presence of God because the only way into that path is through Christ, the door himself, and only those who are humble enough to rely completely and totally upon the blessings of the Lord, those who are able to put off all of themselves and completely throw themselves upon the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, only those go through the pathway of salvation, the door of salvation. And if we understand the text this way, Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, behold, I have placed before you, every one of you, I have placed before you the door, the entranceway into the kingdom of heaven. And what does he say about it? Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut, including yourself. You cannot shut the open door that the Lord has set before you. And he's saying to the church in Philadelphia, don't miss this opportunity to walk through the narrow gate that will lead to the narrow path that will lead to the very presence of God himself. Don't ignore this door that is open for you. And if he says that to the church of Philadelphia, under the way we understand the way he's writing this letter as a whole, he says that explicitly to the church at Hebron. Now I know, not because I have personal knowledge, but because I have theological knowledge of what the scripture says, I know there are people here right now that need to walk through that door of salvation. There are many that have, but not all of you. There are those here that might think they have, but they are clinging to themselves so completely and totally. They have yet to humble themselves to pass through the door of Jesus Christ into the narrow pathway. Jesus says he has set before you an open door May today be the day that every one of you take some time to reevaluate, to look again at your life and say, have I really passed through the door 
that leads to eternal life? Or am I just playing the game outside the doorway? There's two ways in which door is used metaphorically in the scriptures. One is to point to the pathway to salvation. Uh, I think that there's a possibility that the text here references that, but more likely, Jesus is addressing a church. He knows that he's addressing a church, and he's referencing the doorway of opportunity slightly differently, more in the way in which Paul uses that metaphor most clearly throughout his letters, which is a doorway, an opportunity for service. Paul says over and over again to Colossians, to the Corinthian church about his time in Troas, he says, the Lord opened up a door for me and made possible the ministry that he has in mind. And so what God is saying in this, past, in this understanding of this, where Jesus says, look, I know your works. I have opened before you a door. There is a ministry possibility. There is a doorway here for you to flow through, the possibility for you to do effective ministry and get this, I have opened the door, Jesus says. I have opened the door, and no one can shut it. The doorway that is open and available for you, Philadelphia, to do ministry and service is present here because Jesus himself has opened it up. Now, this is somewhat specific, perhaps, to Philadelphia, or if Philadelphia is a good choice for this metaphor, uh, Philadelphia was not a prominent city. It was a very small city, and it, but it guarded the entranceway onto the Anatolian plain, which is a very wealthy part of Turkey. It's a very wealthy part of Asia Minor. And so this was an access way. Philadelphia, although it was a small city, basically if you wanted to get to this very wealthy part of the Roman Empire, you had to go through the doorway of Philadelphia. And Jesus is saying here, look, the opportunity is present for you. The opportunity is here. I have opened that doorway for you to do great ministry. Now, Jesus is not ignorant of the status of this church. Look a little bit more in verse 8. I know, but you, I know that you have but little power. Okay, there are huge obstacles that are confronting this church and Jesus' call for its ministry. Philadelphia probably had a very small congregation. It doesn't look like they had a lot of people, or maybe they are small in stature. Perhaps the church was made up of those at the very bottom rungs of society, and they didn't have the funding. They didn't have a lot of the resources in which to do ministry. Jesus says, look, I know that you're small. You only have a little bit of power. And then a little bit later on, in verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not but lie. Behold, I will make them. There's a re an understanding that there's an opposition to the work of the church. Jesus says, look, I, I know that there is going to be things that confront you if you step through this opportunity, this door of ministry that is set before you. I know that there's going to be opposition. And then later, you get the sense that it's not just opposition, but that it's persecution. In verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming. There is difficulty ahead that is going to be horrific in your eyes. And yet Jesus says, I have opened this door. It is a door of ministry for you. Don't miss this opportunity. Now, if Jesus says this to the church in Philadelphia, again, how hard is it to imagine 
that he says the very same thing to the church of Hebron. That he says, look, I know you are but little power. I know that there are problems that you're going through. I know that there are struggles that you're having. I know that you're not at the spot that you might think you could be. You have little power. But I have opened the door. I have put this door before you. I realize that there's going to be opposition. If you do the kind of ministry in this community, in your midst, in your own heart, if you do the kind of ministry that God has opened the door for, there's likely to be opposition. But he has opened the door. And what he opens, no one is able to shut. There's a possibility that it could lead to persecution. Now we're in a situation where that, you know, the persecution takes on different understanding at different positions and cultures in this world. But Jesus says, regardless of what is before you, I have opened the door. Now I keep stressing the fact that Jesus has opened this door for a particular reason. Let's go back and look at the way Jesus addresses himself or describes himself in the address to the church. Verse 7, I'm writing to the church in Philadelphia. Then he writes, these are the words of the Holy One. Now, you have to be a pretty attentive reader of the scriptures in order to pick this up, particularly the Old Testament and particularly the prophets in the Old Testament. So I recognize if that has missed uh, some of you, the Bible readers in the room here. Um, but nevertheless, the idea of the Holy One that is the way that Yahweh, God himself, self-describes himself. When he wants to present himself in the prophets, he says, I am the Holy One. And here Jesus is grabbing hold of that title and saying, I am the Holy One. I am the one who is set apart. I am the one who is distinct. I am the one who is different than all others. I am the one who is morally and pure. I am the one who is righteous in every possible way. And then he says, and I am the true one. I am the one who knows what is true. I am the one who understands all things. I am the holy and the true one. Who has the key of David. Jesus identifies himself here as having the key of David. Now my guess is that most of us don't know the particular reference to the key of David and that's understandable. The key of, but also my guess is that most of you can understand this. David is the symbol of the kingdom of God. He's a, he's a symbol of the king himself, the one who functions under the authority of God and who then has the key, who has the authority, has the responsibility. In the Old Testament, the second in command would be given the key and would be given all of the authority that the king himself would have. Here Jesus is saying, I am the one who has all of the authority of David. But if you go back to chapter 1, where Jesus pulls a lot of these identifications of himself from it, in chapter 1 Jesus says, I have the key of death and Hades. Jesus has the authority of all what is living and all that is dead. Jesus has the authority over all things. And so when he says here, what I open, no one can shut. 
And what I shut, no one will open. Then we get back to that understanding that he places before us a door. A door of opportunity. A door of opportunity for this church to be engaged in ministry so much further and beyond what we are right now. But he places that door of opportunity not just before us as an institution, not just before the elders that are here or the staff that are here. He has placed that door of opportunity in front of every single one of you. Now I know, right away you're thinking, I'm really busy. I can't give anymore. I've got my family to look after. I've got my kids in all of these things. I've got all my studies that I have to do. I've got my husband's already really involved. I'm already really involved. No one can shut the door that Jesus has opened for you. No one can shut that door. If he has opened that door for you, it is his intent that you walk through that door, that you seize that opportunity. Yes, this church has to do that. But yes, each and every one of you must look and say, has indeed the Lord opened up this opportunity and that there is no other option for me but to walk through it, to grab it, and to say it is here because God himself, Jesus himself, has opened it for me. The promise that Jesus makes in this letter to the Church of Philadelphia is a beautiful one, as they all are, but it's a promise that plays directly to all of us who feel the challenge of that open door that is laid before us. Are we doing what God has opened the door for you to do? The promise is in verse 12. Jesus says, to the one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Okay, now there are a couple of people that immediately want to associate that this is a real pillar. You know, that somehow when we get to heaven, we're all going to be a big statue, hold a, you know, pillar in the gate. Okay, uh, I think it's much more likely, come on, uh, that we have once, once again here a metaphor that God has made us, uh, that God will make us those who will seize that opportunity, the opportunity of salvation that is before each and every one of us, the opportunity of ministry that is before each and every one of us, to the one who conquers. He will make us a pillar in his... Okay, what does a pillar imply? The stability, the presence, that, that, that never will we be shaken. And indeed, the letter kind of plays into that. Jesus says, never shall he, the one who conquers, never shall he go out of it, but always we will be in the presence of God. The stability is one thing. But why use the idea of a temple, sorry, a pillar? Why not say God will make you a pew in the temple of our God? Because that would be weird. No, I, you, know, why, uh, you know, why not a window? Why a pillar? What does a pillar do? For the one who conquers, for the one who seizes the opportunity, for the one who recognizes that God has opened a door before us, God will make you a pillar in the house of the Lord. Now, I've seen pillars, and I think they're wonderful, and all that kind of things are great, but the point of a pillar is that it holds up the roof. 
It holds up the gospel message. It holds up Jesus Christ so everyone can see. That's what a pillar does. A pillar holds up the building so that everybody can see it. For those of you who have seized the opportunity that is before you to become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and for those of you who seize the opportunity for this church, which seizes the opportunity that God has placed before us, an open door to do ministry, the great blessing is that the promise of our Lord is that he will indeed use us. He will indeed use you. His gifting is that not only has he opened the door, but he will make us so that we hold high the gospel message, the glory of Jesus Christ in the entire world. That's what is ahead for you. That's what's ahead for me. Let's pray. Lord God, how desperately we need that very blessing, the opportunity that you give us the door that is open in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for blessing us with that, with the possibility of being men and women who will see the door, who will recognize it for our own salvation and pass through. Lord, for those who recognize the door, the ministry opportunities that are ahead for us, to seize them and to make them more and more as you call us to be, pillars in the church of Jesus Christ, holding forth the gospel so all can see it. Make it so in my life and in our lives, we pray. Amen.